0: and live on YouTube. All right, Michael Schmidt, thanks for joining me. Charles Moskowitz here, Monday through Friday, live at 12 to 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And uh, Michael is the host of his uh, own political blog site called Politicrossing. His article up today is, Can You Increase Prosperity by Taxing Success? Mike, how are you? I'm doing wonderful, Charles. How are you? Good. So can we increase... Increase prosperity
1: by taxing success? Uh, Short answer would be no. (laughs) (laughs) I think it did say that. Yeah, you know, um, I think we, uh, um, the piece that I wrote was um, um, dealing with uh, the um, um, wealth tax that uh, um, Senator Elizabeth Warren has proposed. um, Yes, and now
0: apparently President Biden is proposing a a tax.
1: Yeah. So this this,
0: this um, is something that's out there.
1: Yeah, and uh, well, as we've seen within the first few months of this whole uh, um, operation, uh, you know, it's been a, uh, um, it's been basically every liberal policy that you can imagine has been uh, worked at uh, being proposed and trying to push through Congress. So, um, uh, what they want to do is at least Elizabeth Warren's wealth tax plan is an ultra millionaire wealth tax, and she wants to uh, have a two percent. Wealth tax on anybody that has a wealth of uh, 50 million to $1 billion. And then um, uh, anybody that has a wealth of over a billion dollars, that would be an extra 1% tax. So they would pay 3% tax. Um, now, the interesting thing is she claims this will raise $3 trillion over 10 years. Mm-hmm. And uh, they would use that money for education and infrastructure. Um, and, uh, uh the funny thing is, I think um, a lot of this is uh, the question or the thing that you always hear a lot from uh, the uh, the Democrats is, well, the, the rich need to pay their fair share. So right, right. What is their fair share? Um, and so, if you look at the percentage of uh, who pays income taxes, uh, the top one percent pays thirty-eight and a half percent of the of the income taxes in this country already. Right. Um, you know, the top ten percent pays seventy percent of the taxes. Um, top 25% pays 86% of the taxes. So uh, they're already paying their fair share and then some, whereas in comparison, the bottom 50% are only paying 3.1%. So um, I think uh, there's this misconception out there that the rich aren't contributing or aren't paying their fair share and they're getting out of uh, of, uh, of paying their taxes and they're not. So, um, now well, I mean, uh, are there loopholes? The yes <laughs> you know do, do, do they have good tax attorneys and tax accountants to, to find loopholes of course but regular people do as well right so uh, I, I think everybody uh, as far as i'm concerned uh, and i've posed this for a long time and i've been a big fan of it is is do a 10 percent across the board uh tax flat you know, everybody everybody has a skin in the game at that point so
0: yeah i i hear you i mean it's sort of uh, the uh the uh, earned income tax credit has resulted in people below a certain income paying zero taxes. And that's something that was actually implemented in the Reagan administration. And um, <clears throat> I tend to agree that, you know, we're all American citizens and we all should pay some tax to uphold the government because we're all benefiting from this government. Uh, but when um Elizabeth Warren, you know, appeals to class envy by saying, Oh, you gotta take something from the rich because they're successful and and distribute it to you because you want it, because somehow, for some reason, you deserve it. First of all, I mean I get the appeal, but on a practical level, I don't think it usually works out that way when they raise taxes on the rich. The rich don't pay those taxes because the rich have First of all, most of them are internationalist business people who have investments all over the world and who don't really care about what one country does. They'll just shift it over to another country or to the Cayman mm-hmm. Islands or, or wherever. Yep. And secondly, they have a staff of very well-paid and very experienced accountants who, as you say, can find loopholes. They can you know, shelter the money. I mean, when the passage of the Income Tax Act of 1912 one of the provisions of that, which is not well known, is that it also created the foundation and the nonprofit. And the foundations were a place where the super rich could park their enormous uh, wealth into a, complete, into a tax-free entity, and then you know, use the money for two purposes. Firstly, to pay their various friends and cronies and lackey family members and second, to mm-hmm. buy influence in politics and culture, to change the culture. And most of them were taken over by the left by the 1930s, including the Ford Foundation, the Rockefeller Foundation, and the Carnegie Institute. So, you know, they're going to find, I, I only mentioned all this to point out that they're going to find ways to circumvent these laws. And the result is that you and I, the middle class, the lower middle class, We're the ones that are going to get stuck holding the bag. We're the ones who are going to get stuck paying these tax increases. And the result is that we're going to be hurt. We're going to have to shrink our businesses. We're going to see employment contract. And and that only further empowers the very wealthy, super wealthy, that people like Elizabeth Warren are claiming to go up against.
1: Right. Well, I mean, obviously, and I made this point in my my article, was... uh, do uh, you think they're going to stop at that at wealth of 50 million? Uh, let's just say it doesn't raise the $3 trillion over 10 years that they're looking for. Well, you know what? I guess we're going to have to adjust it down now. Let's see. We're going to start taxing uh, people that are 20 million or more and then down to maybe 10 million or more. We have to find a way to get that money coming in. And you think they're not going to go down to 1 million or more? You know, it's an, it's a, it's an ever-expanding zone. And once it starts, it never, it never will sunset. So uh, we we found that right. so much throughout throughout government programs. So um, and and like I also said in my piece, you know, do you think uh, Bill Gates is <laughs> is going to be paying? <laughs> I mean, he'll find a way to get out of it. I mean, yes, no, he's, he's a big time liberal, but I I don't know that he wants to pay extra taxes. So
0: no, I mean, he probably has all of his money either overseas or sheltered and. Uh, yeah. You know, what you're saying is actually even more stark than what you're mentioning, because it affects all levels of income. And I'll give you an example. Yes. Yeah. The um, the stimulus package that was just signed by Congress, $1. Mm-hmm. $1. $1.9 trillion, less than 10% of it goes to actually help people who are dealing with the COVID virus. Yeah. And uh, what Biden's very sneakily did, and the left, which passed this package, is that they lowered the definition of who would qualify, for example, for these extra stimulus checks, which uh, previously, you know, there was a, there was always a cap. I mean, yes. you don't need to give a check for $14,000 to Bill Gates. Okay. I agree with that, you know, but okay. the point is that what they did was they lowered the cap so that now somebody, a joint, a family with a joint income, I think of 150,000. Yes. They don't get the check or they get less money. An individual gets less money if they earn under 80000 or 70000 yes. The point I'm making is that, you know, people who are into class conflict and, and envy, they might think, oh, that's great. We're not going to give. But, but the reality is that you have billions of dollars less going to real people. Instead, it's going to all these liberal special interest groups and fat cat, you know, uh, left-wing organizations and donors who are being paid back for their support for the Democratic Party, yes. and it's going overseas to uh, groups like the Palestinian Authority and uh, the the Burmese Communists and who knows who else. The point is that you know the uh, the trickle the the the, the 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 you know the the taxing of the rich doesn't necessarily mean you're rich. No. You know, somebody who's earning seventy-five grand a year is not rich. But yeah. if they redefine, you know, rich as being that, then you're going to get screwed.
1: Well, and again, Charles, you know, it depends on where you live. I mean, if you're making $75,000 a year and you live in New York City, you know, right. it, that's not, it's It's that's enough not to, the same as, as making $75,000 and living here in, in North Alabama. You know, it's, it's a different right. kind of uh, you have to. You have to really uh, look at it from from that perspective, because certain parts of the country, your dollar goes a little bit further than other parts of the country. So,
0: oh, yeah, absolutely. Local standard of living. And I think that they also took off the table for that reason. If there's one small victory, the uh, the automatic national fifteen dollar an hour yes, minimum wage which might make sense in New York, as you mentioned, or some of these other big state, you know, wealthy top 1% type states, but it doesn't make sense in Arkansas or Alaska or Idaho, you know, where the standard of living is less and someone, you know, 15 bucks an hour, I mean, 10 bucks an hour would earn the same thing. in, in terms of real dollars and real, real expenses. So in a sense, you know, tax policy, Economic policy, just like so many other policies, it's best done local. It's best yeah. done by locally elected officials, where they actually are accountable to people, and where they live in the community and they have to deal with the consequences themselves.
1: Yeah, yeah, and you know, and we didn't have a you know uh, federal income tax for for a good number of years. Um, I believe until World War One. Uh, that was right. Fifteenth, sixteenth amendment, I think it was. Yes. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, until then, we didn't even have a federal income tax. And uh, um, I, I think, uh, you know, we're at the point uh, now, again, looking at the policies that, are, that we're going here. Uh, the other the other thing that I think uh, this kind of ties into this whole wealth tax, and, um, and it's probably another article I'm looking at writing, is uh, uh, you got to look at where oil prices are going, where gas prices are going, and uh, have to seriously start taking a look at inflation. Because uh, with all these, uh, you know, this last uh, stimulus bill was a 1.9 two trillion dollar uh, package 1.9 deal. 1.9 trillion. Mm-hmm. We've, I think, over the last year, we've spent six trillion now. Um if, that, if, if my math is correct. And and even
0: if Elizabeth Warren's bill is right and they're able to capture two trillion, that's not even enough to pay for a third of this most recent borrowing. No. And and it's not going to go to the thing she talks about. It's going to go to no. maintaining the debt that we're assuming from the bond the bonds sold by the Federal Reserve Bank. Yep. That that uh, you know and, and the interest on that debt. I mean if you take a look at the national pie chart of where the where the annual income from taxes goes, I think it's about a third of it or maybe a quarter of it goes to maintaining the interest on the national debt. Mm-hmm. Not even yeah. talking about the principal here. We're talking yep. the interest. Yep.
1: Yep. And then a good chunk of uh, a good chunk of our budget goes towards, uh, social security, Medicare, Medicaid. It's all those social welfare programs that at some point need to be reformed. Um, but again, that's almost a, uh, a political dead weight because, uh, as soon as that starts getting mentioned, uh, you know, people start fearing about losing their social security and then, and then all the, all the fear tactics come out and the ads start running. And, uh, but at no, some okay. point, we can't keep going at this pace because we're going to end up like the Weimar Republic or like Greece. Well, we're going days. to
0: end up where people really do lose their Social Security. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, and, if you start getting... Those programs, you know, even though I, we may dislike those programs and I think it would be better that they be done by the private sector with government oversight. Right. In a way similar to the way, if you take a look at federal agencies, if you take a look at Congress, you take a look at this, the, the, the court system. They have like retirement programs, but and it's invested into the private sector, but they have a very good scrutiny mm-hmm. by their officials. I mean, that to me is a good model for what we should have. And that Social Security, that's your money. Medicare, yeah. that's yeah. your money. You put into you pay into that system all yeah. your working life. Every time ta- every time you, you get paid a check from your company. You'll have Social Security taken out. You have FICA taken out. FICA is Medicare. Yep. And basically what you're doing technically is you're buying a pension through Social Security and you're buying health insurance through Medicare. And you know, they, they do a very poor job of it because, you know, they, they regulate it, they don't give you much interest on it. If if you die before retirement, it disappears. You know, Medicare, they'll talk about regulation. I mean, a few years ago I had to get to, to, in order to work, I had to get a, um, a license to sell life and health insurance which I did not do well at but I had in the process of getting the license, I learned about Medicare mm-hmm. and it's not what you think it is. It's not cracked up quite. it's highly regulated, no. very stingy. This no. is your money. No. you know you paid into that rotten system all your life. If that same amount of money had been paid into a like a private medical insurance account, where it had been invested and in, in, in earning interest, you would have a substantial health account at retirement that really could, you know, you could use to really pay for a vast number of things as opposed to what Medicare is, which is highly restrictive, yeah. very regulated
1: and very tricky. You so, make a great point because... Yeah. Um, a few years ago, uh, before Paul Ryan, what I would term went native, <laughs> uh, but he, he used to be a real policy wonk, a real conservative yeah. policy wonk as a younger as a younger representative out of Wisconsin, and yeah. uh, um, he had some great proposals that he had come up with about reforming the Social Security system, and uh, one of them was to, uh, like you said, take the uh, take the money and for people to have basically their own own 401k pension account and use that social security money to invest it however they want. And you think about the return on investment that you get from social security now compared to what you get, if you would, if you would have uh, have that money and be able to put it into accounts that you can, uh, you know, like, like you do at your office or at your, you know, wherever you work um, the, the return on, on, on your social security money would be, you know, 10, 20 times greater than what, than what you're getting now. I mean, you're getting pennies on the dollar for your social security for all the years that you worked. That's and, right. um, and and that way um, you would get the government kind of out of it a little bit more, and you'd have you'd have uh, people in control of their uh, in their money, and uh, you'd have it more uh, more. Uh, uh, it'd be a, a greater uh, I would think it'd be a win-win situation for everybody involved. But again, politics comes in, and and, uh, well, and comes
0: in. I mean, they, they start to say, oh, you know, the conservatives are trying to take away. remember they had those films where they showed. Oh, they right, when, uh, when Paul Ryan was running. Yeah. Yeah, he was pushing Graham over the, blue. the blue. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but, yes. but I remember my my dear friend, the late great Dr. Samuel Blumenfeld, who um, I consider a mentor. We did hundreds of great hours on the radio. He had an interesting suggestion on this. He was main, his main area was education, but he said mm-hmm. if the government put a thousand dollars into a bank account for every American child, a born or naturalized American child, and left it there. Earning compound interest, not to be touched, mm-hmm. then they wouldn't have to take Social Security out of the working man's dollar, out of their paycheck, and when they reach sixty-five, the amount would have accumulated to the point where it would be a substantial nest egg that they could then draw from in retirement, and and we would have in the in the meantime, had a a, a major advance or a major you know in 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 terms of um, income in pocket. That we mm-hmm. then be able to invest and and spend, and there's only two things you can do with money when you when you have it. Either you invest it, in which case it goes to someone else's company, which helps them expand, right. or you consume it, in which yep. case you're expanding someone else's business. So, you know, the it, it would be you know t- that would be an economic stimulus. They wouldn't yes. need to have these big stimulus packages where they borrow mm-hmm. 1.5 trillion dollars from from bankers at the Federal Reserve. The, right. the, the stimulus would happen where it should be happening, yeah. at its source, yeah. the, the source of income for working men and women.
1: Yeah, well, and, and if Democrats and, and, uh, and Elizabeth Warren really were interested in, in uh, lifting up the, uh, uh, the, uh, the working class of America, uh, you know, they would be proponents of, of limiting government bureaucracy, and uh, they would be uh, interested in in expanding the the free enterprise free market system and and getting businesses back open and letting people letting people work and taking away all those restrictions and uh, mm-hmm. uh, and and uh, taxes on people and just you know let let the free market work um, because let's face it throughout history the the free enterprise free market system has been the only system to help lift people up. Throughout the world, um, and uh, you know, it, it, there's no other way to go about doing this. And and every time they keep trying to level the playing field, as they call it, with uh, um, you know, robbing from the rich and trying to give to the poor, um, it, it doesn't work. And uh, you know, you get you know, you, you, they've tried it in Venezuela, they they've tried they've tried it in, in socialist countries all over the world for 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 years, and it just doesn't work. So
0: well, that don't stop them, you know. No, I mean, no, it just hasn't been
1: done. hasn't been done. Right. As they say,
0: it's not so. an actual economic issue. It's, it's an ideological issue. It's a belief yes. issue. They, they believe in this. Yeah utopian idea which is very well and
1: they also believe in keynesian economics as well where, where instead of instead of milton friedman's <laughs> economics they believe more in that that keynesian yeah you can spend and spend and spend and and you're okay well, well talk
0: a little bit about that because i think that it was actually i don't know if it was trump himself but it was uh it might have been Mnuchin or someone in the trump administration who said i believe we're all keynesians now and that the Keynesian economic theory as opposed to the Austrian theory is the dominant theory and has been since the 1930s. And in a nutshell, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but what what Keynes, uh, what, what Maynard Keynes suggested was that in, in times of prosperity, you raise taxes because mm-hmm. the economy can absorb the increase. right? And that way, in times of a downturn, and he claimed that there was a natural cycle. It was a um, a slope you know, that, that would go up, down, up, down. Then you could spend the money back into the economy and borrow as a way to keep things relatively stable and relatively stimulated. Yeah. Now, that system seems to have been in place since the 1930s. And in a certain way, you have to say that it kind of works, no?
1: Yeah, I guess. But I, I would say I would counter with... Um... You know, look at the tax cuts that uh, um, that Kennedy ran. Uh, Well, actually, they were post, you know, after his death. Uh, But uh, the tax cuts of the Reagan years um, and the uh, tax cuts of the Bush years and then also the Trump years. And then look at the uh, the revenue. I mean, we've never had a, uh, you know, in those when taxes have been lowered, we've had record revenues coming into the coffers. The problem is we have spent a whole lot more than those revenues coming in. Um, the one time where we had kind of had things going in the right direction, uh, was, um, with the, uh, with the new deal and new Gingrich. Um, and, uh, you know, they actually stopped spending or kind of cut spending enough where we were starting to make a little, um, headway into that, into that debt. And then, right. uh, and then that kind of got cut off after a couple of years, and then we've gone back, and then obviously, you know, the Bush, uh, Obama, Bush years, and then Obama years, and and uh, and and now with the the pandemic, I mean, we have just exploded the the national debt. And to me, I, you get to a certain point. I think we're we're getting close to like thirty percent of our GDP now with everything that we've spent. Um, you know, and so the the higher you get on that, you get into a point where there there's got to be a uh, there's gotta be a breaking point because you can't keep spending and spending um, and and not face some kind of a problem. And uh, you know, I kind of see things maybe going back towards uh you know the the seventies if you remember, you know, Carter and the Yeah, right, stagflation. Stagflation. Uh you know, we had and there's already signs, at, there's already signs it. at
0: gas stations. <clears throat> there's uh, already signs of it. There's already people are reporting an increase in gas. Yep. Increase in fuel because yep. Maybe that's because of the uh, cancellation of the XL or whatever. Maybe an increase in therefore that reflects an increase in everything because if you can't have products shipped from A to point A to point B, and that's what gas it requires, and that goes up, then the cost of, of groceries are going to go up. The cost yes. of uh, the hamburger is going to go up. As yep. as uh, the late great Massachusetts Governor Sargent once said, he said, "I lost my election because of the price of hamburger." It had been going up and that's what people respond to, right? That's what hits you in the pocket. And I think you make a good point in that tax cuts have resulted in a huge stimulation of the economy. You know, you have the the tax cuts of Warren Harding led to the prosperity of the 1920s. You had the tax cuts, you know, post-war during the Truman years, which led to the prosperity of the 50s. The Reagan, the Kennedy tax cut, Kennedy famously said, you know, a rising tide carries all boats. That led to the prosperity of the 60s. And then Reagan's tax cuts, although in the case of Reagan, I think he did what you're you're saying, and not necessarily in a bad way, but he used the uh, increased revenue to spend a lot, particularly on defense, which was necessary at the time. Uh, Yes. To the collapse of the Soviet Union. But nevertheless, you know, if if there's going to be, the tax cut, there has to also be government cut.
1: Yes, you can't, you
0: can't. You know what I mean. You can't. You have to do both. I think this is something that was noted by Alan Greenspan when he was the head of the Federal Reserve, mm-hmm. and uh, that was the policy during the Clinton years, thanks to Newt Gingrich, and you know there, there was a great period of prosperity. But of course, as you say, now we're having we're entering into a a period of huge spending. Yes, and tax increases. And um, I think we're feeling it already. You know, I think that the inflation is damaging. Michael, what can we do as citizens to protect ourselves and to protect
1: the little assets that we have? Well, again, I think it goes back to um, being vocal, (laughs) Um, making sure you make your representatives hear you, uh, hear your voice, hear your concerns um i i know sometimes it may seem like nobody hears you um but uh call um email write um do those do those types of things be active get involved in the process um and get involved in the party process Uh, if you want to reform the republican party if you think the republican party has not gone the You know the exact route that uh, you you think there's too many establishment republicans and they're not conservative enough and they're not standing on the principles and ideals that you have get involved and work on trying to get some quality candidates to run for office and try to change the course and the tide of of the way things are going Um, because uh, if you just sit back and you ignore it and and i always say and i write about this ignorance and apathy have led us to where we are at today Um, we can't continue to be ignorant, and we can't continue to be apathetic, Um, you know, and say, well, politics really don't, don't you know, that doesn't interest me, you know, it doesn't affect my life. Yes, it does. (laughs) Um, You know, in in, in, in every way possible, it affects your life. And uh, um, it starts at that local level, and and it goes up to to your uh, state legislators, it goes up to uh, your governors. I mean, just look at how everything's been run through this pandemic. You can see the difference how some states have like Florida and South Dakota have 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 really been uh, much much more um, um, independent and much more uh, belief in a freedom, independent freedom and, and liberty. Whereas states like New York and California and Michigan and Illinois have been much more um, a strong hand of government, you know, telling you no, you can't do this. We're shutting everything down. So um, so every state is kind of like a lab experiment, so to speak. And so. Right. Um, it's just essential, I think, that everyone uh, really makes their voice heard and gets involved in the process. Because you and I have talked about this before, but we're running out of time. <laughs> I mean, we're uh, we're getting to the precipice where um, you know if we don't change the course and the trajectory that we're on, um, we're going to lose the republic uh, as it stands. Um, you know. I think It was Greg Roosevelt
0: who said that the states are the great laboratories of democracy. And I don't think there's been much difference in terms of the viral uh, spread in the states like Florida versus states like New York or or California. So, uh, you know, again, I mean, it's up to the states if they want to have a a policy that is more calling for people to take responsibility for their their health, while at the same time, you know, functioning and, and getting out and starting to, um, you know, operate normally in an economy. But, um, you know, you, you mentioned getting involved in politics. I think that, not to get in a quick little shameless plug here, but this year, right, I'm writing a series of short books, you know, no more than 10,000 words per book, like almost in the style of the pamphlet. Mm-hmm. And, the, um, and I've already written two of them, which are published. Which are uh, we're all socialists now and toward toward fascist America, I would have called it toward Nazi America, but my daughter objected, so I <laughs> called fascist America. And my newest book, which should be out hopefully by the end of this month, is is basically a hand guide, a handbook for winning an election. And I'm, i I I have a little experience in it. I ran for Congress in 2004 okay. against okay. Bonnie Frank. I lost that race. But I I learned a lot. You know, I I raised a half a million dollars. I debated the congressman a half a dozen times. You know, it was, I got a lot of media in Massachusetts. Mm -hmm. While most of it was not good media, nevertheless, I was able to get a few issues over the plate. Right. And and that's something that if you care about a couple of issues, you, you know, there's no better way to get them up into the public consciousness than than to run for office. And and my campaign did make a difference. I I ended up having Frank removed from the Homeland Security Committee and and there were some other things that happened. So, you know, you can make a difference and especially local office. I'm not saying run for Congress. That was my thing, but alderman, uh, town committee member, mayor, city council, school committee, planning board. These offices hold enormous power and you know america was founded on this principle of subsidiarity where the bigger powers would be with the more local offices but the problem is that we have forgotten this and mm-hmm. we need to get citizen politicians people who are not hacks who are yep. connected to the establishment and that's most politicians yes who you know who are careerists they're just in it yep. for the ambition or because, yep. they, because they're narcissists we need citizen politicians housewives teenagers, retired people, empty nesters, anyone who has a little extra time to go in and consider running for one of these local offices. And uh, I mean, we learned a lot from this last election. I don't want to get into too many details other than to say that we now know that state legislators have a lot more constitutional power than they thought they had in terms of running elections and that that power was usurped by governors and secretaries of state because the legislators didn't realize their own power or they didn't know how to stand up. In fact, just yesterday, there was a ruling in Michigan against Michigan Secretary of State Jocelyn Benson who had during the election, just by fiat, declared that absentee ballots coming into that state, they they didn't have to verify the signatures quite as much as they did before. They only needed a hint that the signature might be the same before Mm. they had much more vigorous standards. Now putting aside the fact that it opens the door to forgery, it also was not her purview as secretary of state to do that. That is the constitutional responsibility, article two, section two of the constitution of the state legislator to make such laws. So if there's one thing we've learned, and by the way, a judge has now stepped in and said this, and so she's She's had a ruling against her. Of course, it's too late now. Yes. But but the point is that we have to realize that we can run for these offices—state rep, state senator—and you know, it's an exhilarating experience. I'll tell you. I mean, it's also a devastating experience. But you might discover if you decide, hey, I'm gonna—I'm thinking of running for state rep. You might discover that the person holding that office has been there for ten years, twenty years. That they they're basically resting on their laurels. You know, they're probably a no-show. You could do a little research, you know, into, into who they are and what their background and what their voting record looks like. You might find some bombshells in there. Yeah. And you can win. You really can. I mean, it's not so it, it's like a small district made up of one or two towns. You could knock on doors and get signatures. I mean, the classic example of this is tip is the late great Tip O'Neill. Mm -hmm. Speaker of the House of Massachusetts. He won his first race because he went out and knocked on thousands of doors in his district. And I mean, this is a man who was obese and he had a heavy drinking. This is not healthy. if He can do it. You can do it. I mean, and he learned a lot from doing it. He made connections with people. You look them in the eye. You ask them to vote for you. You get their signature and you hear them talk about their problems. And it changed him personally and professionally and politically i did this and it changed me it is an incredible experience and you can win because it's a small district it's a couple of towns you don't have to have big money right you don't have to have outside influence you can do it just hitting the streets a little bit each day yep. and going around and introducing yourself to people yep. and a big so
1: grassroots campaign
0: Exactly. So I'm writing a manual about this. and I'll have really? it published at the end of the month. But
1: I know you had mentioned that before. So yeah,
0: yeah. And it's going to give us a step by step instruction in terms of how to do it. I know liberals will get it, too. And that's fine. You know, if they're grassroots, I don't mind that they have issues, too. I, I want to see citizens get in and yes. take on these hack establishment, yes. you know, people who are professional careerists who are just in there for the either to to, to you know, for influence or money. And that's most politicians, whether they admit it or not. I mean, that's, and always has been. That's oh, yeah. politics. It's yeah. politics. is It's, it's power. And yeah. power, as, as Lord Acton said, power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. Of course, he went on to say that all politicians are very bad men, which is also true.
1: But, yeah. It's, and, and uh, you know, if you look over the years, there's been very few politicians that you could probably count on your hand that have actually gone to Washington um, or have gone to, uh, you know, a state house. And, and uh, after serving one term or two terms, they've said, nope, that's it. I've done my service. I'm going home. Uh, it's very rare to find those types of people.
0: Well, you know, one of the reasons for that, and I learned this when I ran for Congress, is that Congress sometime in the 1970s. They set up this incredible package for themselves. Oh, yeah, I mean, if you serve the magic number, I think is two. If you if you, if you serve the third term, and you get over that threshold, yeah. you're set for life. Yeah, you know, you're going to have full salary for the rest of your life. You're going to have benefits out the wazoo. you know yeah. got everything going. I mean, it's incredible. I mean, most people don't realize that. Oh yeah. And and so yet yeah, you know they they put in incentives for themselves to stay in office and to keep each other in office and both parties do it. It's oh, yes. a partisan thing.
1: No, no, <laughs> no. <laughs> and that's the thing. Yeah. I, I think, uh, it's, it's Republican, it's Democrat, you know, it, it doesn't matter. I mean, it, again, it's, uh, and it's I think it's the point that you and I continue to make when we've been at, when we've had these, uh, discussions on your podcast is it, again, it's about trying to get this Republic back. It's about trying to get back to what our founding fathers, um, you know, uh, had it visualized and and we've gotten so far off of that track um it's time to get people back involved in the system because we all have a a civic responsibility um you know to uh, to do our part and if we each do our individual parts um, we can turn this ship around but again it's a matter of people uh getting involved in the process and so you know what uh, you know, obviously, once you're once your pamphlet is out, um, let me know, because I want to, you know, get that out to people uh, that I'm in touch with. And um, because I think that, uh, again, it, it, it'll serve as a guide for people on how to go about um, getting yourself into the process. Yeah. Um, absolutely. So, so next-
0: Michael, what, what do you have coming up on your on your blog?
1: Uh, I am looking at a couple different pieces. Uh I've actually uh I'm looking at uh, maybe doing a, a historical piece with the Weimar Republic and kind of doing a comparison of uh, where we might be uh, might be heading. Um so that and uh I also I'm looking at more of a social issue type. Uh, I did uh, some security work this past weekend in uh at a, a state basketball tournament here in Alabama and uh I was amazed that uh, I was uh, uh doing security for uh uh, ten and under girls for a state basketball tournament and I was amazed as just an observer at the uh, at the parents and the way the interactions are and the examples they set for their for their children. So I may uh, do a uh, uh, just uh, kind of a uh, social issue piece um, on that so from an yeah, I
0: want to have you back to talk a little bit about Alabama okay and, and politics there because I yes. think that there's, there are misconceptions between North and South, even to this yes. day. You yes. know, I hear like liberal relatives of mine in, in from New York and Boston make comments about Alabama that are probably not true. So,
1: well, I, <laughs> well, I, I have I have jokingly said to a few people down here since uh, Governor Kay Ivey has extended the mask mandate into April, uh, which makes no sense. I've said uh, I'm half tempted to throw my hat in the ring and run against her, and just uh, just to. Uh, just to try to do something to bring up the issues of, uh, of, of government overreach. Um, so, uh, Absolutely. Um, you know, it, it, and that's the problem with a lot of it down South here, just in a nutshell, is you have a lot, of, uh, a lot of Republican in name only that probably used to be Democrat, but they couldn't get elected as a Democrat. So they switched over to Republican mm-hmm. and, um, and that's part of the issue down South here, so.
0: Well, I, first of all, I urge you to run for that office. That would be amazing. And, and well, we should talk about that.
1: Yes, I, 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 I've been definitely thinking about it. So. Good. Excellent. Well, that's, that's
0: something I'm going to keep a tab on. So, Michael, where can people read your blog and, and other information you'd like to give out?
1: Well, they can find me, uh, as always, uh, at uh, conservativethinker.net. Mm-hmm. And uh, that is uh, uh, my main blog site with uh, 90-some-odd pieces there for people to read. You can find me. Uh, I also am contributing uh, articles to uh, politicrossing.com. It's a brand new website, the intersection of uh, politics and faith. So you can find my articles there. Just look for Michael Schmidt. Um, you can find me on uh, Twitter at Bucky Boy Mike. And you can find me on Facebook and LinkedIn. Just look up Michael Schmidt and you will find me there as well. So,
0: All right, Michael Schmidt. Listen, I want to thank you for joining me as always.
1: I appreciate the time as always, Charles. Excellent. Have a great afternoon. You do the same.